Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. As always, please be sure to like, share, follow, subscribe to us wherever you are listening. You can leave us a review, a rating, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to come on over and have a listen. That support is huge. Today, we're sitting down with Lindsay L. She grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and her career began at the age of 15 when she started creating music with Randy Bachman, a famous member of both BTO and the Guess Who. Now, that music would turn into a move to Nashville at the age of 21. Since that time, there has been a record deal. There's been two albums, most recently Heart Theory, which just hit its first anniversary, as well as many award nominations and wins, including most recently five Canadian Country Music Award nominations, the most for any female artist. We had a chance to talk to her about the entire journey, including her time at the Opry, because, well, right after our interview, she was actually traveling to the Opry to perform that night, which is pretty cool. So please enjoy our conversation with Lindsay L. I didn't realize that you were playing the Opry tonight. I haven't seen that anywhere. Oh my gosh. Well, surprise, surprise. We get to celebrate at the Opry tonight. It's going to be amazing. Um, yeah, we always love playing the Opry. It's, uh, it's, it's a special place. And congratulations on the CCMA award nominations, five nominations, the most nominated solo female artist. Now, you are no stranger to nominations, but when it comes to Canadian award shows, American award shows, is there a different feeling that come with those two? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You know, the the part I love about being from Canada, but getting to tour and travel all over the world is there's a different feeling in every single country. You know, there's a different feeling in um, shows and, and award shows in the States as the UK, as Germany, as Australia. And the coolest part about music is it is this universal language to bring us all together. And, you know, we've played shows in Germany where half the audience doesn't even know how to speak English, but they can still dance and groove to, to music. And it's just like, it's so cool how it brings us together, regardless of our differences. So yeah, there definitely is a different vibe, but I love the different vibe of every country. And cause I just love to bask in it and learn in it and, and listen and, and learn everybody's culture. So I think that's the best part actually. That is awesome. And you talk about the start in Canada. Now on Country Music Made Me, I like to follow along the journey a bit before we get to the exciting current stuff. So you talk about the shows. What was your very first show outside of church, outside of the house as a musician? When and where was that very first show for you? Well, Brendan, my first show was in my church. So I started playing music when I was really little and, um, you know, started writing songs when I was 10. I started playing piano when I was six and guitar when I was eight. And um, I first started playing playing in front of humans um, at my church. And it really is, I will say, the best place to learn because in a church, you can get up on stage and pretty 
pretty much do anything and you'll get a round of applause. <laughs> it was very, especially when you're 10 years old, like a 10 year old little girl carrying this massive guitar and like sitting on stage. And so I pretty much could have done anything and the crowd would have been so sweet to me. And so it was a very um, welcoming, nurturing environment to get used to playing and performing on stage. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful for um, falling in love with performing from such a young age because it became my home, you know, still to this day. Like I love writing songs. I love being in the studio. I love every element of the music industry, but playing on stage, playing live is my favorite part because I started when I was so little. And starting so little, when you hit 10 and you started songwriting, I talked to a lot of musicians who say when they hit that stage, before that, maybe they were focused on, you know, guitar slinging, gun slinging, playing the solos, playing lead guitar. But when they got to songwriting, that sort of went away because they just wanted to learn as much as they needed to to write a song. And so for you, was there any ever a time when you were 10 and started writing that you were thinking of one or the other? Or have you always been focused on having both of those in your life? You know, I always have done them all kind of at the same time you know playing guitar and and becoming a huge guitar nerd and listening to you know Stevie Ray Vaughan and Hendrix and Clapton and kind of like diving into those rabbit holes and then writing songs and then performing I've just sort of done it all and so um even singing you know I, I started singing probably first out of anything and it just always has been an element of of what I do so I never really thought of doing one without the other it was more just like it's all fun and I want to be a part of all of it and when I think of some of my favorite artists it is how you know their whole artistic package comes together and so you know you think of an artist like Tom Petty or like John Mayer and it's like the way they sing the way they write the way they play their instrument the way they perform and when all of those things meld together it it makes this like truly unique package as an artist and i think that's what makes artists so distinctive and why every artist is so different because it's like all of those different like little pieces that no other artist can can fully replace and so i'm so grateful that i you know was a music nerd loved singing loved performing because i think that it's what you know makes my music just unique in in its own way you know and it was around 13 or 15, I get conflicting reports online, that uh, Randy Bachman of BTO and the Guess Who approached you after hearing you. Now, I read that he heard a demo from you. So when did that start? When did the recording and that thought of this is what I want to do as a career, this is what I want my life to be, when did that kick in for you? Brennan, your research is so good. I'm so I'm so impressed. Um, yeah, I Randy first heard a demo tape when I was 13. So that's when he first heard of me. And um, and then we started working together. Like I started going out to his studio on Salt Spring Island when I was 15, you know, and we oh, had okay. written a few songs before then. But but when I was 15 was when I was I was like, okay, like, let's go sit in a professional recording studio and, and let's learn how to write a song. You know, Randy was the first one who really kind of taught me about the format of a song and, and, and how to write a proper song that could be commercial and get on the radio. And so I would say it was about 15 when I realized, well, this is a pretty cool job. I think, 
I think this could be a really good way to go right here. And so, um, you know, I had been gigging even before that point, but, but before that point, it was more just really fun. And when I was 15, 16, it, I started taking it super seriously. And, you know, I was my own manager, my own agent, my own everything at the time as, as we all are when we start out. And, and I, I just remember like trying to book as many shows as I could and, and just trying to do as much as I can to build you know, to the next step, to meet the next person, to start building my team. And, and um, now looking back, I'm just like, goodness gracious, I remember my 15 year old self and she was like a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> that is amazing. And your first album was in 2006. Consider this. Now, I love my research and I pride myself on it, but I was not able to find anything about that album online to listen to it. And so I was wondering what the sound of that album was. Was it a country album or was it that a different sound back then? I am just so impressed from your research. I love <laughs> this so much. Um, so Consider This is the record that I worked on with Randy Bachman. And, um, and it ended up... Uh, just being an independent record and you know i i made it and i sold it in the back of my trunk and and sold it at shows and um it it was just such a beautiful learning experience it definitely was country and um yeah i it has been like removed from most places on the internet <laughs> um i i love it and it, it you know it was where i started but but i've just changed so much from you know my 15 year old self that um that you know and and that was like the first project and the first like little independent thing. And, and when, you know, you're a kid learning, um, I was like, okay, I don't need this music to live everywhere for the rest of my life. <laughs> but um, I mean, if you, if you go digging, you might be able to find it somewhere, but I, I don't even think I have a copy of it anymore. I think my best friend has a copy of it and maybe my mom and dad, but, um, but yeah, consider this was definitely a country record. And um, I'm just so grateful to Randy for really giving me my start and giving me like such a beautiful, you know, platform to, to have like a professional recording to then, you know, get me to LA to get me to Nashville to get me some of the meetings that I ended up signing my first record deal from. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Nashville and how that record sort of led to your first trip to Nashville. And that first trip to Nashville, and what the feeling was like at that point for you. Yeah, you know, I had I'd gone down to LA to um, write songs with some songwriters for about six months. And, and somebody had mentioned, you know, I think you would really love Nashville, Lindsay. I think you'd love the people there and love the vibe. And, and so um, I was like, okay, well, I could, I could check out Nashville. And, um, and so I ended up booking a plane ticket and I knew one person's name on a piece of paper. That's all I knew. <laughs> and um, I remember walking off the plane with my guitar in my back being like, well, if there's a good time to figure this out, now's as good as any. And um, I just remember everybody in Nashville being so kind and so hospitable. You know, Southern hospitality is definitely a thing. And I felt like I was home. You know, it felt like Canada in a lot of ways. And so um, for my first year and a half, I didn't have a visa yet, you know, being a Canadian. So I couldn't make any money in the States. And and so I went back and forth. I would I would be I was waitressing at the time I was going to school and um and 
I, I was gigging on the weekends, making as much money as I could to buy a plane ticket to fly down to Nashville. And then I would go down to Nashville and write songs for two weeks. And then I'd fly back to Calgary and gig and wait tables and go to school and make enough money to buy another plane ticket. And then I'd go back down to Nashville and I went back and forth every two weeks for a year and a half. And I just was trying to meet people. I was trying to network. And while I was in Nashville, I would do triples, what they call them in town. And triples are like you you basically write three songs a day. And okay. so you start and you, you, you know, write a song from 10 until two. And then you write another song from three until six. And then you write another song from seven till 10 usually. And and then after that, I would go to writers rounds at night and I would listen to like these songwriters in town. And then after the show, I'd be like, hi, my name is Lindsay. Will you write a song with me? And um, and so I just wanted to meet people. You know, I knew nobody. I was a foreigner. I had no no friends in town. And so thankfully, by about a year and a half, I had you know, established a community and network of people that, um, that, that believed in me and, and, um, and I was able to sign my first publishing deal. And then from that, I was able to get my visa and able to move down officially and, and rent a little apartment compared to spending so much money on hotels and flights back and forth. And, um, and, and then shortly after that, I signed my first record deal. Wow. That is a whirlwind. And so you were 21 when you officially moved to Nashville, that was, I believe, 2010. And it was around 2013, 2014 that things started to take off. The band Perry was one of the first bands to reach out and they brought you on tour. Over those two years, as things started to take off, what were you feeling at that point? Did you, were you feeling anything or was it just this huge wave that you were riding? Yeah, Brendan, I remember that time like it was yesterday because I was on top of the world. You know, I had just signed a record deal. Um, I had released my first single to country radio across the US and Canada at the same time. Um, I was going on my first worldwide tour with the band Perry. We were visiting like 15 different countries, like all over Europe. I was like, whoa, mom and dad, I am a rock star now. Like <laughs> I have made it. And then it was like, it was such an incredible tour. And, um, and also, you know, like everything, there's like ups and downs to everything. And, and so the song I released ended up doing pretty well, but you know, it didn't make it to number one on the charts. And, and so it was my first lesson in, okay, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And this is, um, you know, the music industry is so incredible of all of the ups and downs, but um, it, it definitely is full of lots of ups and downs. And so I, I learned very quickly that, you know, it for so long, it was like, I just have to sign a record deal. And then you sign a record deal. And it's like, I just have to get a song on the radio. And then you get a song on the radio. And then you're like, I just have to get a number one. And then you get and there's just always the next door, you know, and 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 so it was like, that time was such an exciting time to me. And at the same time, it was such a beautiful learning experience because I was like, whoa, okay, yeah, this is like, this is such a um, a journey. And it was like the first like lesson, like true, you know, hands-on lesson of, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. And there's going to be ups and downs and so, so many exciting moments and so many setbacks in ways that I didn't see coming. And, and so, um, 
Yeah, that that was a really beautiful time. And I'm really, really grateful for like that initial excitement, you know, going out on my first worldwide tour and then being able to come home and be like, oh, okay, so this is what life is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a difficult thing to, uh, to get sometimes. And so then in 2017, when you released the project, it goes, it debuted number one on the Billboard Country Album Sales Chart and Billboard named it the best country album of 2017. And so, like you say, with the music before that, it didn't go number one and all of that. So when that album hit, was there excitement or had you learned enough at that point to be like, this is awesome, but let's just see what comes next. Yeah, when I got to release the project, there was so much excitement because it was my first album on, you know, a, a international record label and and that was like a huge accomplishment to me and you know as as much as like i had definitely learned randy bachman was actually the first person who told me he's like lindsay this industry is an emotional roller coaster and it is like full of so many ups and downs and you just have to figure out how to like kind of coast in the middle and so i'd always by that point by releasing you know the project i i was a little bit cautious of getting too excited for things but you still need to celebrate your successes. You still need to be there to like relish in the awesomeness of things that happen because otherwise life just goes by too fast. And so when the project came out, I was so proud of that first record. You know, by that point, I'd been signed to a record label for almost five years and I had not released a full album yet. I just released a bunch of singles. And so to be able to release a full project felt so incredible. It felt so amazing. And I was definitely very proud of it. I was very grateful for my producer, Mr. Christian Bush, um, to help me release that. And the fact that we got named best country album of 2017 was, uh, was just the icing on top of the cake. And Criminal, of course, went number one in Canada, which was the first solo female to do so since 2008. And then also that year, Megan Patrick went number one, which made you to the first solo uh, female artist since 99 to do it in the same year. Now with that song, I, I read that it was an early write, one that maybe came before this album was even thought about and that it had a different name that was plain to Boston before before you wrote it now just talk about how that song came together how early on did that song come Brendan I love your research I'm <laughs> I'm just gonna say it's so refreshing to um to have this conversation right now um yeah so criminal we wrote criminal about three years before the project came out and wow. it's amazing just how you know songs are like these little pieces of art that live on and sometimes are are, you know, those seeds are planted far before the tree is ready to sprout out of the ground. But, um, but yeah, we originally started Criminal um, as uh, Plain to Boston. Yeah, not the same song at all, but it did have like the same melody, um, the same like guitar part at the beginning. So all of that was the same. But, um, and then actually some of the verse lyrics were similar, but um, the co-writers and I were like, you know, 
Plain of Boston's kind of weird and are only people in Boston going to want to listen to it? Like, is that just too weird? And so we ended up rewriting the whole chorus and essentially it was a love song and it stayed a love song, but we just wrote it from the opposite way that you hear most love songs. You know, the lyrics of Criminal are, are you know, boy, what you do to me is criminal. And you don't really usually hear that that saying or, or it said that way. And so we just thought the metaphor would be kind of fun to flip it. And since you had been living with that song for so long, for three years before the album comes out, and then, you know, it takes about a year for the song to go number one. So what was it like to have that song be the one that went number one since you had been living with it for so long? So special, Brendan, to have criminal be the be the thing to be able to ring the bell and it had been so long since terry clark had had a number one in 2008 at that point like over 10 years for a female to have a number one on canadian country radio is just mind-blowing but the fact that it was criminal was so special because that song had just been a part of my my ethos and a part of my world for for a long time and it, it proves that you know everything happens in the time that it takes and sometimes things just um you know have their have their own journey of of unfolding and so coming into heart theory let's talk about that unfolding three years between albums when did I believe it was the first song on the album hits me I believe that was the first song that was written when did that begin when was that song written hits me was written probably about a year and a half um before the album got released and really I remember the day I wrote heart or I wrote hits me with Tyler Hubbard from FGL and with Corey Crowder and I didn't know that I started my album that day you know for a, a long time I was just a songwriter waking up writing songs how I was feeling and and I didn't I remember walking out of the studio the day we wrote hits me being like okay that is something special I love this song so much and I don't know what it's gonna do but I know it's going to do something I remember having that feeling I remember getting in my car like in the studio parking lot being like okay, we did something good today. But, um, but I didn't know I had started my my second album that day. And um, I was about halfway through writing Heart Theory, when I decided, oh, how cool would it be to write a concept album on the seven stages of grief, the seven stages of grief are just one way of articulating, you know, a healing process. But as I was looking at all these songs that I was turning into my publisher every week, I was like, wow, I'm writing these songs in order of my healing process. And how cool would that be to be able to share with fans? This is my healing process. And this is, this is the, the bells and whistles and the good and the bad and the ugly and the beautiful parts of it. Um, because I just think that when music gets that real and that vulnerable, that um, that's when it has like a really special connection point. Right. And there's only one song that you didn't write on the album. That's I Don't Love You. Now, you probably get pitched a whole ton of songs. So how exciting, especially when you're writing a concept album, is it when you hear a song that fits within that? Like, do you get goosebumps when you first hear a song that like that, that fits so well? Yeah, Brennan. I mean, when I'm making an album, I listen to probably 2000 songs. 2000 oh, wow. So we get pitched a lot. And um, it's just there are so many good songs, but it's hard to find like the right song that matches up with the right thing that I want to say at that time. And I remember hearing I don't love you for the first time. And it was actually like right around the time where I had written, you know, hits me and how good because I just remember being like, I 
feel this song so much. And it was like the lyric was written for me. You know, I have Stevie Wonder records in my living room and my ex-boyfriend never liked to take takeout from restaurants. I was like, did they know that they were writing this song for me? And so I remember putting it on hold really early because I was like, this is a this is a song that it was meant to be mine. Keith Urban told me one thing very um, smart. He was like, whenever he hears an outside song that he loves, it's like a jacket. And he like loves to live with it a little while and see if it can fit, see if he can dance with it on. And and so I knew that I Don't Love You was a jacket I could wear really, really well. That is amazing. And you also have a co-write with Kane Brown on the album. And I believe that that is or was, I don't know if he's had some since, but his first ever outside cut that he had. And so what was it like writing with him? And then just being able to have a song that helps an artist like that get their music out there outside of themselves. It was so special. You know, Kane and I have become friends over the past few years playing festivals. And I just, I, I respect him and look up to him so much. I love him and his wife dearly. And um, yeah, he's such a good songwriter. I love writing with other artists in the writing room because they get, they not only get like the process and the art of songwriting, but they also get the aspect of standing on a stage, entertaining thousands of people and, you know, certain melodies and hooky parts and sing along parts. And so Kane is so talented and, and a brilliant songwriter. And I remember the day we wrote Want Me Back, he walked into the room and was like, Lindsay, I want to write a song for the females. And um, and I was like, yeah, Kane, me too. And I want to write a song about standing in your own power. And so Want Me Back just came together so naturally. And the fact that it was his first outside cut as a songwriter, I am so proud to be able to give him that. It was my second number one in Canada, my first gold record in Canada. It, it was just like such a moment to celebrate for the both of us. And those big moments, like this day and age, you have your number ones, you have all of the streaming numbers that you have. You have the different charts on Apple, on Billboard. So do you pay attention to that stuff or do you kind of have to take a step back and not pay too much attention to all of that stuff that's going on after you release an album? I am kind of a workaholic and I love stats and data and numbers. I'm a huge nerd, like math and science were my favorite subjects. And so it's hard for me not to pay attention. Um, as a song is climbing up the charts with radio, I can't watch it as much as I want to. Cause if I did, I would drive myself insane. Like I would be like, Oh, it got one more spin. Oh, it got two more. spin. Oh, it got, and I would not have a life other than that. So there is a line to these things, but, um, but yeah, I love watching it all. I love reading every DM that I physically possibly can get to from fans and knowing that when they're talking to somebody, they're talking to me. And, um, I, I just, I, I care so much about the music I make and about my career. And I care so much about my fans that I want them to know that, you know, it's, it's full service operation over here. <laughs> <laughs> and now heart theory has it passed a year yet or are we coming up on the one year anniversary? It just had its one year anniversary. And actually, Brendan, it was kind of crazy that the first day I walk into the studio to start recording my next project, like my next piece of new music was a year and was the year anniversary of <laughs> Heart Theory. And so it's crazy that like I've been writing a lot and it just so happened that it was like exactly a year before I get into the studio to start recording the next project. And so I'm so grateful to be able to celebrate, you know, a year um, 
that this music has been out there in the world and, and to be able to know that it's helped people, you know, to get messages from fans being like, thank you for writing this album. You've helped me navigate through my divorce or getting over my breakup or talking about my story as a fellow survivor. And it just, it, it really makes me feel so good and, and remind me of the power of music of like how much music can connect us all. That's amazing. So you're hitting the Opry stage tonight. The first time you hit the Opry stage was April of 2014. What comes to mind throughout that time? Every time I get to walk into the circle of the Grand Ole Opry, it like kind of sends chills down your spine. You know, it, so many legends have walked before you in that circle. And I remember my parents flew down for my Opry debut back in April of 2014. And it was just so special. And it still is that special. You know, the fact that I get to walk on the stage that Patty Loveless and, and Johnny Cash and all of these like country legends stepped in that same circle to play the Grand Ole Opry and I get to step in that circle. It just is like hard to fathom sometimes, but um, I'm so grateful that we get to play the Opry on a regular basis now. It is the mother church of country music and um, it's it's definitely something that I'm honored to do every time we get we get to. Now I have to know, are you in a hotel or are you backstage at the Opry right now? I'm actually in my house. This is oh, my home. Oh, your house. Yeah. And there so- I've been living in Nashville now for, yeah, I guess 10 years. So I have, yeah. I mean, thanks to the global pandemic, uh, I built a little studio here in my house so I could record from home. So I'm here, but I'm just about to get in my car, put my guitar in my car and uh, and drive over to the Opry for sound check. That's crazy because you're on tour with Blake right now. So I, I didn't think you'd actually be home. I thought you'd just fly in, go straight to the Opry and then just fly right back out again. <laughs> Brendan, I have been home for all of about 36 hours and I have a pile of clean clothes and a pile of dirty clothes and they just swap like the clean <laughs> goes in my suitcase, the dirty goes in the washing machine and then I get home and we reverse the whole thing. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time. There is so much I want to talk about, especially in your younger years, because we didn't get to talk about your dad and your parents and the influence they had on you, because I know that's a big thing. So I hope we can have you back and we can dive even further into the story that has brought you to where you are today. I would so love to come back, Brennan. You just let me know and I would love to continue this conversation. Thank you so much for just doing such incredible research and being just a fan of country music. Um, I appreciate that more than you know. Well, thank you so much. Congratulations on the award nominations, uh, the guitar pedal that you recently <laughs> released, you. and just all the success that you continue to have. Congratulations, and thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, Brendan. Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Lindsay for stopping by and sharing her story. Be sure to check out her album Heart Theory wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to like, share, follow, subscribe to us wherever you are listening. Leave us a review, a rating, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to come on over and have a listen. That support is huge. Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Mm -hmm.